Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, Kalahari, man, uh, 2,500 students uh, over there in Sandusky, hanging out, running around for the weekend. And um, I know there's a large a number of kids who are unchurched. They don't have church affiliation necessarily. And um, I'm not saying that church kids are always uh, most well-behaved either, but, I mean, you can imagine 2,300 Middle school and high school kids running around, um, and then they get together for sessions and uh, worshiping the Lord and they hear about Jesus Christ and, and who He is and what He's done for them. And one of uh, the students that came with us evidently um, indicated that she'd prayed to accept Christ as her Lord and Savior, and so we're excited about that. <clears throat> um, and also, just a few to those of you who uh, helped uh, financially, that every one of our students who went uh, was able to go free of charge. And so, thank you for uh, for doing that. And um, yeah, it, yeah, that's good. Yeah. <clears throat> so I appreciate you putting money towards that eternal events investment. Um, and I'm sure there's others. I, I didn't hear any numbers from there, but I know one from our church did that. So we're thankful for the Lord. Well, speaking of eternal investments, turn to John chapter four. We're working our way through. Uh, the Gospel of John, a biography that he wrote about Jesus. We're going to be in John chapter 4. It's page uh, 1061 in the Bible there, uh, in the seats, if you're going to use one of those. And um, again, if, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that one home with you. And we're looking at this question, and, and every week we're going to do this. Um, but John said he wrote this Gospel so that we may know we have eternal life. That we might know... That when, not just when we die, that we'll spend eternity in heaven, that's part of eternal life, but that uh, we know how it is to have a relationship with God. How can we be right with God? And as we see through here, Jesus, God the Son, uh, He's going to continually tell us from different angles, from using different illustrations, how it is that we can know for sure that we have a relationship with God, that we will be able to spend eternity with Him. And so John uh, spent three years with Jesus. He heard everything Jesus said. Uh, he was there when Jesus was doing uh, what John calls the signs, which are proofs that he is God. He saw how he interacted with people. And so he's just writing these things down because he wants us to know, those of us who are reading this, how it is that we can know we have eternal life. Now last week, John chapter 3, we, we saw that Jesus talked to um, the most perfect person in the world basically. Uh, this was Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. And so the Jewish people, and really anybody else around them, would have looked at this guy, and this guy is the most perfect person. He is religiously perfect. He did everything that the law wanted him to do, and he actually was a teacher of the law. And so from that perspective, he was uh, the most perfect person in society. And again, that's kind of quotations, right? And what Jesus said to him shocked him. But what Jesus laid out for him, God, the guy, the, the, the God that supposedly Nicodemus worshipped and taught about, shocked him with what he had to say. Today, Jesus is going to talk to um, probably the most irreligious person, the, the person who is probably seen by society as the least of all society. Someone who has been rejected by society. And what he says to her is going to shock 
her. It's interesting because Jesus, every time he speaks, says something that shocks somebody. Because people have a preconceived idea of what God, who God is, how God operates, what God expects. and we, There's all these preconceived ideas in the people of the first century here in Israel, the Jewish people specifically, they also had that preconceived idea. And so when Jesus, who is God, we learn that from John chapter 1, comes and corrects them, it shocks them. And so Jesus has gotten the religious leaders pretty well ticked off. And what he has said to Nicodemus hasn't helped. You know, we don't even... You know, we don't even know what happened after that conversation. It just says that Jesus left Jerusalem. And so, um, and again, you know, when you think about it this way, um, Nicodemus, a religious leader, teacher of the Jews, Jesus is telling him, you don't have any clue of what the Old Testament teaches. You, you have no clue of what the law is all about. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus that. So like I said, he's ticked off the religious leaders. We found that out previously. We know that what he says in Nicodemus didn't go very well. And so we pick up the story there. And it says this, John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard it, Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. In other words, now the Pharisees are like, oh boy, we thought John the Baptist was a bad guy. Like he was constantly causing trouble. Jesus is far worse. All right, and so this point forward, we talked about last week, uh, they're on the warpath when it comes to Jesus. Um, and so he says he left Judea, so he goes to the region surrounding Jerusalem, just north of Jerusalem, and he went away again, oh, go back, I don't have it that memorized, and he went away again into Galilee, so he went up into northern Israel, okay, John chapter 1 and 2 talks about that. And he had, and he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to the city of Samaria, called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Now, if you remember from our rough crowd series we did in the Old Testament, Jacob, Joseph, it's always, so it's like 1,800 years before this well or this town and area is still happening after all that. So Jesus, being weird, because he just traveled about 30 miles north um, from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about six, the sixth hour. So Hebrew town, uh, Jewish time, it was 12 Noon. So we've got this map, kind of let you know what's kind of happening here. Some people like this, some people don't, but for those who do, we've got Jerusalem that's at the, at the bottom of the screen, which is about halfway through Israel, okay? So there's still another half of the nation below it. But you have Jerusalem, and so that's where Jesus was, and like I said, he got, got into it with some of the religious leaders and talked with Nicodemus and basically told Nicodemus, you have no clue what you're talking about when it comes to who God is and how one is right with God and and so he goes up into the Judea region, which is just kind of north there. Well, his goal is to go all the way up north to Galilee. Um, but he goes through Samaria and ends up in Sychar. Now, it says that he had to do that. But if you notice the green line over there to the right, he didn't have to do that. In fact, most Jews didn't go through Samaria. They would go around Samaria. They wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. They hated them, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. Now, so Jesus didn't have to go through there. He could have done what everybody else did and, and add a day or two to their trip if they wanted to go up to Galilee. But he didn't. He went through because he had a mystery. Now, there's a huge racial issue going on here. Like I said, the Jews hated the Samaritans. Samaritans hated the Jews. 
Uh, it starts out with the fact that uh, the Samaritans were Jewish people who intermarried with their enemies. So those who came in and, and took over Israel uh, during that period of uh, the divided kingdom, years before this, those people intermarried. It, it's kind of like um, my, my family's from Norway, and uh, my, dad, my dad's from there, or was from there. He's actually in heaven now. Uh, and my mom's parents, they were from there. And so my relatives in Norway were there during World War II. And so when the Germans came in, some of the girls married some of the soldiers, the German soldiers. And they were ostracized by the Norwegians because they were the enemies. You know, why are you marrying? Well, so that's what's happening here with this, these individuals. On top of that, when Israel had been attacked in the past, the people in Samaria didn't help them. And then to make matters even worse, they said, oh, hey, uh, uh, Israel, you guys say, or Jews, you say you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. No, no, no. We believe the first five books of the Old Testament, not the rest of the Old Testament. And so we actually have our own place of worship. You guys are wrong. We're right. You should be worshiping at Mount Gerizim, which is right by Sychar in this map. And so, again, Jesus didn't have to go through and a lot of Jews didn't go through, but he did have to go through. And there's a purpose for why he's going through. And so he stops at this well. He's about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. And he stops at this well, which is a half a mile outside of the city of uh, Sychar. It used to be uh, it's close to the Old, uh, Old Testament city of Shechem. If you guys remember, again, rough crowd. Jacob and his family lived up in Shechem. Um, Jacob's two sons went into Shechem and killed all the men of Shechem because one of the guys raped their, daughter, their uh, sister. And so then Jacob decided, whoop, we got to get out of there. So he moved down south, uh, southern Israel. But that's kind of up in that same area. And so Jesus is tired because, again, he's, he's God, but he's also human. And so he's operating like any of us would do. So he, he's operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so he gets tired physically. And so he stops by this well. He sends his disciples ahead. Now the question is, why does Jesus go through Samaria when he doesn't have to? Why does he stop at a well? Now, Sychar may or may not have had a well in town. I would assume that they did. I mean, it makes sense that they wouldn't want to keep on coming out a half mile out of town to get their water. But whatever the case, why does he stop at this well? Why does he just go into town with the disciples? So let's see what John has to tell us. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. That's a simple sentence with a lot in it. All right, and we're going to unpack it a little bit. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? And John tells us because the Jews had no dealings uh, with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, so he's saying is, You're shocked that I'm asking you for water, but if you knew who I was and you knew about this living water that I want, that I want to give to you, you would be shocked. All right. So he's trying to get her, get her attention on what, what's going on here. So she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well, and she uses the Greek word frere, which means a, a deep hole. It's kind of a, uh, like rain would go down into this 
and then it would just kind of hold underneath it. It's significant to what Jesus says later. And so she says, a well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Again, this has been going on for eight. This is, this is a well that gives life. You know, for 1,800 years has been giving life. Water, you know, back then especially, is life. So Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, pointing to the well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well. So he uses the word of, for a bubbling, fresh, um, stream type of well where the water is rushing underneath this well and it gives life and it's going to bubble up. So there's this well of water springing up to eternal life. So it's going to it's going to cause somebody, so he's not talking about physical water here now, right? We're all catching this. She didn't, but we're catching this. It's not spirit or physical water he's talking about. He's talking about something much deeper. He's talking about a spiritual uh, thing happening in us. And so that spiritual thing will happen where God is going to give, or Christ is going to give us spiritual water, and we're not only going to have eternal life, but it's going to flow out to others. It's going to make an impact on others. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. So I'll not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to drink. Now again, Nicodemus, when Jesus was talking about you need to be born again, he was thinking physical. Oh, I got to go back in my mom and be born again, right? We talked about that last week and how painful that would have been. Um, and so Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You need to be born again. You're born physically, and then you need to be born spiritually. And that happens with water and spirit. And that, that combination is talking about the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, needs to come into a person's life and literally make, give them spiritual life so that they have a reborn spiritually. And so Jesus is saying the same thing here. She's thinking physical water. She's like, oh man, I'll take the water that you want to give me, and I'll never thirst again. I don't have to come out to this crummy well, half mile out of town, mile round trip at noon, ever again. That would be awesome. And so Jesus is like, well, this is not really what I'm talking about. So he he, he has to come to, through Samaria because he has to talk to this woman. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, I think we can go to the next slide. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so he initiates this conversation with this lady. Now, a little side note, a little extra information that you didn't pay for this morning, and that's this. This is how God always operates. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, God always operates. Yeah, Jesus talks to crowds, but he came for the individual. In the Old Testament, God initiated a relationship with individuals and said, hey, if you believe me by faith, I will do these things for you. You'll be in relationship with me, and there's some things that will flow from that. When Jesus comes, God the Son comes, he does the same thing. And so he is going to Samaria because he needs to meet with this woman. And you'll see he met with Nicodemus. He met with John the Baptist. He met with the disciples. He meets with individuals. And, and that's what he was doing here. And, and that's what he still does today. God wants an individual relationship with each of us. He wants you to know him personally. He wants you to put your faith in him. He wants to give you spiritual life. He wants to give you eternal life. And so now we know why he stopped. Because there's an individual in this case, a Samaritan woman that he needed to talk to. And so he initiates this conversation. When he initiates the conversation, 
humanly speaking, socially speaking, religiously speaking, in every way you can think about life, this is a huge faux pas. This is something that Jesus should never have done. This is going to ruin his reputation. This is not the woman that he should be talking to. And so there's a, there's a, a gender issue here. Back in the first century, men didn't talk to women who were not their relatives. And he certainly didn't talk to women alone at a well, half mile out of town at noon. People find out about that. That's going to make Jesus look really bad. There's, a, there's an ethnic issue. I don't like to use the word racial issue because there are no races. races. There's only one. We all came from Adam and Eve. And so there's an, an ethnic issue, a nationality issue. As we've been talking about, this is a Samaritan, and he's a Jew. No good Jew would ever, especially a teacher of the Jews, would ever talk with a Samaritan. There's a religious issue. Not only is she a Samaritan, but she's a woman Samaritan. Now, why is that a religious issue? Because according to the Jewish Mishnah, which is uh, the instruction book for the Judaism, which is the religion that man kind of developed out of what God had given Israel in the Old Testament. It's called Judaism. Uh, According to their instruction manual, a Samaritan woman could never be clean, spiritually speaking, religiously speaking. She was continuously, from the moment she was born to the moment she she died, she was unclean, religiously speaking. In other words, it meant this. A Samaritan woman, from the moment she's born to the moment she dies, she could never be right with God. In other words, according to the Jewish writing, the moment she died, she would be spending eternity in hell. you imagine living with that weight of guilt? Oh, thank you. Living water. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, and so <clears throat> she's, I still have my cold, you can tell. Um, so this lady is living with this knowledge all her life that she would never be right with God. That's what the word clean means, at least from the Jewish standpoint. And then there's a social issue. There's a reason, we'll find out a little bit here. <clears throat> there's a reason why she's at a well outside of town at noon. And yet, So there's a social issue. So, what's going on here? Why does Jesus do this? Why is he putting himself in this kind of situation where he could potentially ruin his reputation? And how did Jesus know that this woman would be at that well at noon? He's God, yeah. So it's actually kind of an easy answer. We've already determined from John chapter 1, John chapter 2, and John chapter 3 that Jesus is God. And so he knows. We know from those chapters that he knows everyone's heart. He knows who are true believers and who are not true believers. He knows that are playing the religious game and who are not playing the religious game. He knows those who need him and those who have already come to him. And so he knows that this lady will be at this well at this time because he wants to offer her eternal life. He wants her to know God personally through faith in him. So he offers her living water. He's trying to connect with her. 
And so she's coming for water. She's got a thirst. And so he wants to give her living water. He wants her to connect with him. That he's talking about something that is spiritual. It's not just a physical thing. But she uses, she's talking about physical. And so she uses this well idea where the water is collected at the bottom of a hole. And, and so she calls it that. She calls it that kind of well. And Jesus uses a, a phrase or a word that means a, a, a fresh spring. Um, a, a water that's constantly running. And, it, and it's something he's trying to get her to understand there's a difference here. There's a difference between your physical need and your spiritual need. And I want you to, to understand I'm going to give you living water that will bring eternal life. And then he says this, he who drinks of it. Now, <clears throat> we, we talk a lot about, man, you've got to be reading the Bible and not just reading it, but then you've got to get times where you're studying the Bible because words matter. This word drinks it is, a, is an awesome word. And so you're going to learn a little um, English grammar type of thing here. So this, this word is a, an aorist, tense, active voice. The aorist part of it means that it's a one-time thing. So a person who wants to have eternal life, there is a one-time thing that you do to receive it. It's not a bunch of things that you do. It's not something over and over and over and over. No, it's just it's one time. You remember John chapter 3, where Jesus says, hey, you need to be born again. And as we talked about that, when you're born physically, you're only born once physically. You can't go back into your mom. That's ridiculous. When you're born spiritually, it's also a one-time thing. Just like you can't do anything to be born physically, but your parents make that happen. You can't do anything to be born spiritually. God makes that happen. All right, and so now he's saying, he's saying he who drinks this one who, person who takes the action of taking in what Jesus is saying, and it's an active voice, meaning it's a choice that you have to make. It was a choice that I had to make years ago when I was a kid, but it's a choice that you have to make. It's not something that your parents. We learned about this the last few chapters. It's not a decision that your parents make for you, or if they've made a decision, somehow you get born into it. It's not something that I declare upon you, like some churches would say the pastor or the priest declares you to be. No, it's something a choice you make. You and God. It's a personal relationship. And so he's offering her living water. He's, he wants her to drink. She want, he wants her to take what he's saying in for her own heart. So how can you have eternal life? <clears throat> well, he used Jesus' phrase is to drink of the living water that he offers you. In other words, Believe what he says about what it takes to have a relationship with him. And that's how you have eternal life. That's why Jesus came. That's why John's writing his gospel. Well, sadly, she doesn't get the point. She's still thinking physical. She's thinking, oh good, I don't have to ever come back out here. I'm never going to thirst again. Uh, which, you know, it's kind of a neat idea. Because you don't always have to want to grab some water and take time out of your message because you're thirsty. Um, but so she's, she's, he's not, she's not getting it. So, Jesus knows this. And so he wants her to know something. Kind of changes the topic here. Because he wants her to know something. So here, we'll just go into it. So then he says to her, after saying, Oh, give me that water so I don't have to drink anymore. Go call your husband and come here. What? Kind of a hard left turn. The woman said, uh, answered and said, I have no husband. 
And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now, put yourself in her sandals. Right? You come out to the come out here to the well. You're minding your own business. In fact, you're coming in at noon because you want to avoid everybody. And some guy is sitting there at the well, just chilling. And he says, hey, give me a water, give me some water. And he starts talking about some living water, some eternal. And then he goes, oh, hey, by the way, I know some things about you, that you've been married five times, and the sixth guy that you're living with, by the way, is, is not your husband. Now, if that was me, one, I would have to be a woman. But that's besides the point. If I was in her sandals, if I was a woman next situation, I would have taken my bucket, I may have used it on him, and I would have walked away. <laughs> but, but she doesn't. She stands there, she takes it. But now we know why she's at the well at noon. Because everybody in town knows about this woman who's had five husbands. Five men, in the first century, she couldn't divorce them. So this was five men that she has given herself to in hopes that they would give her the love and acceptance that she wants and needs. And they've all said, you're not good enough. They've all rejected her, all five. No, you're out of here. You're done. You're not worth being around. So not only does she know that God doesn't accept her, at least according to what the Jews would say, now she realizes that no man really wants her. She's got the sixth guy on the line and not sure what's going on there. Maybe, I don't know, I'm not going to speculate, but she's now living with this other guy. Now, Jesus is not saying this to beat her over the head with her life choices. She knows very well who she is. She knows very well her decisions have not been good. She knows very well she's living in sin. She knows. She knows. Nobody has to tell her this. So why is Jesus saying this? He's saying this because, number one, he wants her to know there's something special about this Jewish guy. She, he, he wants her to know that I know everything about you. And I still care. He wants her to know, ultimately, that he's God. And he cares. See, God's done this all throughout Scripture. And Jesus is just showing it to us in a physical way. God meets us in our sin. God never says, hey, get better, and then I'll have a conversation with you. Religion says to do that. God never says that. Jesus never says that. His followers after that have never said that in the Bible. Never get better, and then I'll talk to you. No, it's you come to me as you are. In all your mess. This lady was a relational mess. And Jesus shows up because he wants her to know that he loves her, that he cares about her, that God wants to give her eternal life. This lady who thinks that she was born to go to hell because of what the people around her, the Jewish people especially, would have said about her. It's a great example for us, by the way, who are Christians, followers of Christ. Christ mean, Christians means Christ one, follower of Christ. We don't have to beat people up over the head for where they're at. We meet them where they're at. Just like God met us. 
and we share with them the eternal life that God's given to us. So that, that truth bomb, it gets, it gets her attention. All right, so we'll move on with the story. The woman said to her, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> so in doing that, she's saying a couple things. One is that I, you're right about me. I'm admitting, yes, I'm, my life is what it is. It's, it's a mess. Now, I don't know if she's changing the subject here. If she either wants to know, you talk to the Bible scholars, they're all over the place on this. It doesn't really matter. Point is, then she says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, Mount Gerizim, which is just beyond Sychar. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So there's this, we talked about before, these differences of opinion on which religion is right. right? We've heard those questions before, right? Hey, what's, what's the right religion? Well, Jesus is going to answer Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. It's not about religion. Now, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Salvation comes through the Jewish nation, Jesus Christ. So basically he's saying technically, I mean, quick answer, you're wrong, we're right. But that's not the point. Moving on. But an hour is coming and now is. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm here, I'm God, and so here's the time, everything changes. I am the pivot point. Everything changes when true worshipers will worship the Father, God the Father, in spirit and truth. For such people, this is really cool, for such people the Father seeks, in other words, he goes in search of, to be his worshipers. God is spirit. In other words, he's not confined in a building. And those who worship him must. There's no other acceptable form of worship then worship that comes from our spirit and in truth is what Jesus is saying. So if you're thinking, is there how you know what are some other ways we can worship? There is no other way to worship God acceptably than to worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's what again. I, don't throw tomato cans at the messenger. Jesus is saying this. Okay. So we worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, "I know that Messiah is coming." He who's called Christ. Again, it's a Savior King. And they understand it's God. When that one comes, He will declare all things to us. In other words, I, I know there's going to be a Messiah coming. The Messiah coming. And He's going to explain all. So what's happening here is she's, um, she's hearing what Jesus says. She's perceived He's a prophet. and in her, So she's kind of thinking out loud. She's thinking... Wait a second. He's just explaining all this to me. So then she says out loud what she's thinking. The Messiah is supposed to come. And then he says this. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, you've got to kind of have a cartoon mind for this. I'll get to that in a second. Let's, let's talk about his perceived. <laughs> So she says, I perceive. <clears throat> All right. So this is the present tense. This means that the more you keep talking, the more I'm beginning to understand who you are. So at the more, is this cool? Didn't we talk about this in John chapter 1? The more the disciples were with Jesus, the more they understood he was God. The more this woman is with Jesus, the more she's understanding that he's a prophet. Now when she says prophet, 
She's really actually saying she believes he's the Messiah. At least she's kind of, maybe he is, maybe he's not. But it seems like this guy could be. Why am I saying that? Because uh, the Samaritans, they believe the first five books of the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament they didn't believe in. And so the only prophet that they believe is a true prophet was Moses. All the other prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, you know, all the way to the end, all those guys were not prophets. Only Moses. And the, the, the prophet that Moses predicted would one day come, who, who they then would believe was the Messiah. So what she's saying here by saying, I am, the more you talk, the more I think you're the prophet. The more you talk, the more I'm thinking you're the Messiah. And so, she's, again, she asked about the correct worship center. You know, maybe she did things with Messiah, so then he would have this explanation. I, I don't know. It doesn't really matter because the more important point is that Jesus is saying, everything changes with me. When I showed up, that's when everything changes. That worship is no longer about where you're worshiping, but it's about how you're worshiping. Or maybe from where your worship comes. He, he uses spirit and truth. and I could, go, I could do a whole message on this alone, but I need to get through this message first, so we'll you know, come back at noon. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I'll try to clarify for you real quick. Spirit and truth. Water and spirit, John chapter 3, talking about the Holy Spirit. Water, so there's this understanding of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying she understood all of this. We, we understand as we study out more of Scripture. But point is, he says, uh, spirit and truth. And so what he's saying is, our worship comes from our spirit. It's actually two parts of this. It, it comes from our spirit, our inner being, our inner person. And it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? When you place your faith in Christ. And then how do you worship? Well, the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to worship. And in truth. And so, truth, what do you mean? Well, truth about who Jesus is. The truth about who God the Father is. The truth about who God the Holy Spirit is. The truth about what He expects. The truth about how He operates. The truth about who He is as a, as a person. You know, who's it, what is His attributes? What is it? What does it mean that we have this God who's created us? Just everything you can think of when it comes to, to truth. Which, by the way, is, is found in Scripture. That truth is only found in Scripture. And so we come to God, we worship from in, uh, inside of who we are, empowered by the Holy Spirit, based off of what His Word tells us. And, and then that's seen in how we live our lives. It bubbles up. It means that this idea that other people can see it. So, you know, like for instance, people will say, well, I'm going to go to God's house and worship. So if, you, if you're saying I'm going to go to God's house and worship and you're talking about coming to this building, no, this is not God's house. This is not a temple. This is just a building where a bunch of temples hang out. All right, this is a building that God's given us. This, if you want to put it, this is God's house. Why? Because God's Holy Spirit resides in us. He used to meet his people in the temple in Jerusalem. Now we are the temple of God. Which means our entire life is worship. Everything we do and say, however we respond, 
It's a way for us to worship God, to show Him that He is worth our change and how we live our lives. We no longer live the way we used to live. We allow Him to change us to, to live the way He wants us to live. When we come and worship Him, it's, it's not about what our bodies are doing. It may, play, it may come out in that way, but just because someone raises their hand in, during a worship song doesn't mean that they're worshiping. It could mean they're trying to get someone's attention. Or it could be, hey, look at me. I don't know, and I don't care. Because <laughs> that's not what we're... A person sitting quietly... I was sitting in the back this morning, both services. <coughs> I, I did not have a great week. And uh, when I got up this morning, I didn't want to be here. I, some of you guys are like, Pastor? <clears throat> In fact, Greg told me I was fired, and I walked out, I was leaving. I was just like, awesome! I, I didn't want to be here. None of you guys have ever felt that way, but I didn't want to be here. And so I'm sitting back, in this, and I'm, and I'm a guy who's going to preach. Right? So I'm sitting back there, and I'm kind of, I'm just telling God, I'm, forgive me for my, my uh, temper tantrum and my focus on me and how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. and blah, blah, blah. Please forgive me. And, and I just want to ask you, Holy Spirit, give me the strength to be able to say what needs to be said. Give me clear thoughts and clear words. Empower me to do. I still was not feeling good. I was still crabby. But that was worship. Why? Because I was determining that I was going to do this based on God's Holy Spirit, not me getting up here. And so spirit and truth, truth of who God is, truth of what He expects in worship, being here. You guys, listen. You're here, so that's great. But for those who are listening on a podcast, Scripture tells us, God tells us, that as those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, those who have God, the Holy Spirit in our lives, those of us who are part of Christ's body, the church, we are commanded to be together. There is spiritual strength and growth and encouragement that comes not just for you, but for the rest of us when you're here. I don't say, hey, got to be here because I want to be able to check off some seats and how number of seats that are filled. Some pastors might do that. I don't. I do it because I know what Scripture says. And people who say, I'm not going to go to church because I don't want them to see me be all upset and I don't want to be... Blah, blah. Listen, no, be here. We want to see you upset. I'm upset this morning. I had somebody come walking up to me and, and he told me later he didn't want to interrupt me because he saw that I was praying, but he felt like he needed to pray for me. And so he did. He went back to his seat and prayed for me. Oh, my word. You know how, much, how, much, how great that made me feel? Somebody cared enough. Listen, we need to be here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to make Grace Point your church, I get it, there's other churches, but if you want to make Grace Point your church, then make it your church. Obey God. Truth. Worship through the power of the Holy Spirit and be here. Be a part of what God's doing here. Again, if you want to make our church your church, if not, find a church that does that. Then, I'm getting really long here, so i got to move on. So, says this, God seeks. God pursues. You and I who have placed our faith in Christ means because God pursued us. And if you're here this morning and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God's pursuing you. Think about that. 
The God of this universe, the one who created everything, including you, he's pursuing you. Jesus will later on tell us that he draws people to himself, but here he's telling you he's pursuing. Just like Jesus pursued this woman at the well, went to her, God has come to us. And he says, I am the Messiah. And everything stops. You just picture it, right? He says that. He's sitting down. She's standing up. She drops her bucket. She's staring at him. He's staring at her. The music begins. It's very intense. Everyone's on the edge of their seat. And then this. At this point, the disciples came. Oh, my word! Oh, he's messing up a good moment. At this point, the disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one had said to the woman, who do you seek? Or to, the, to him, why do you speak with this woman? After all, Samaritan woman. So the woman left her water pot, went into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, the Messiah, is it? So this lady who had been an outcast is now bold. They went out of the city and were coming to him because obviously she's really excited. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. So now, you've got to picture this. They're having this conversation, but Jesus is seeing the people from Sychar walking out to him. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him any, to anything to eat, did he? Again, not quite getting it. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Is that... Is that what you're waking up every morning for? To do the will of the Father? That's what Jesus came to do. And we who follow Jesus, that would be what we're doing. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. These townspeople are coming out to him. That they are white with har- uh, for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for life eternal. So he who sows, those who tell others about the eternal life of Jesus, and he who reaps, those who get to be with the people when they make that decision, may rejoice together. For in this case, one is, uh, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you, disciples, to reap for which you have not labored. So Jesus made the, planted the eternal life into this woman, and the, the disciples are going to get to see the, the fruit of that, the labor. Others have labored, the woman went to all the townspeople, and you have entered into their labor. The disciples get to be with the people when they come to know him. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman and, uh, who testified, he told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two more days. Many believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. So the woman is so excited, the lady who's been rejected by this community, the, the woman who doesn't want to be around anybody from this community, she goes back to the people of the community saying, I think I found a Messiah. Come check this out. And they follow after her. But the point is, this is a lady who nobody wanted to be around, who felt like nobody wanted her around, who went to a, a well at noon rather than in the morning or in the evening when the women used to go to get the water. Because she didn't want to be around everybody. The disciples, they totally missed it. Like many of us sitting here this morning, they totally missed this point. Sadly, some of us here this morning who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, 
you're not even hearing me right now, and you're going to walk out and you're going to care about your water. You're going to care about your food. You're going to care about what's going on this afternoon. You're going to forget this point. Just like the disciples. The townspeople, though, they believed. They put their full weight of trust in Jesus Christ. Not just because of what the woman said. Now they've heard Jesus. And they believed. So last week, Jesus talked to the most religiously perfect person in the world and told him, you got it wrong. You need to be born again. You need to have God's Holy Spirit give you spiritual life. And now he's telling this least religious person in the world basically the same thing. It's not about where you worship. It's not, it's not about religion. It's about your heart given to God. In both cases, it's about putting your full weight of trust into his hands. Letting him have the well, taking care of your well-being, your spiritual well-being. So as we close out this morning, here's our takeaways for today. First one, if you're here this morning and you've never drank, you know, you've never taught, had a conversation with God and, and asked him to give you that eternal life, then that's, that's what you need to be doing. Entrust yourself into his hands. We'll learn more about what that means, but let me just give you a quick Snapchat, or snap, Snapchat, uh, snapshot. Hey, Snapchat. Uh, <coughs> still think it should be called snack chat, and we just eat snacks. But <laughs> snapshot of what he's talking about here. First of all, it's not you being good enough. It's about you letting God into your life where you're at. And then, secondly, it's understanding that you're separated from Him because of sin, and we all have all done it but that your sin can be removed, can be forgiven if you place your faith in Jesus Christ and believe that he died on the cross for your sin. Again, we'll talk more about that, but that's where it comes from. And when we do that, God's Holy Spirit comes in and washes out our sin and gives us spiritual life. And now we have a, a relationship with God through faith in Jesus that gives us eternal life. And while we're here on earth, then we live life differently. In fact, for believers, how do you know that you've placed your faith in Christ. And you start evaluating things. Did I really do that? Did I really put my faith in Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus keeps telling us what our life is going to look like if we do that. And so, number one, you will worship in spirit and truth. You will seek God to give you the strength that you need to, to worship Him in your entire life. Not just here on Sundays. Not just on Thursday night at Bible study. Or some other... Throughout your entire life. And it's going to be based on God's truth the Bible. So you're going to be in God's Word. You're going to spend time with God's Word. You're going, to, you're going to ask Him to teach you things and to understand what He wants you to do. And you're going to live that life in front of all other people so they can see who God is. And then you're going to want to make Him known to others. And so if you're here this morning, you're kind of like, eh, you know, I, I don't... Listen... All I know is from what I read in Scripture is when a person understands who Jesus Christ is and they give their life to them, they go tell people. I also know the reason why they do is because they've been with Jesus. So let me just challenge you if you're a Christian. Get with Jesus in the sense of get into his word, study it, be here on Sunday mornings, understand it. All right? And so know who Jesus is. Because the more you know him, the more you want to do life his way, the more you want to do life his way, the more you're going to want to share it with other people. Let's go ahead and stand. We're closing prayer.